It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I'm so happy and grateful to have on the podcast today, Catherine Purdy. Catherine is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Burning Glass series, as well as the Bone Criers Moon duology. She lives in Utah with her husband and three children. She's a trained classical actress who studied at the Oxford School of Drama and was inspired to write her first novel while recovering from donating a kidney to her older brother. In her spare time, she loves writing songs on the guitar for her characters and devouring peanut butter Oreos. And I met Catherine at Utah Valley Magazine's Fab 40 yes. launch party. And I just barged onto her table with all of my kids and just sat down and we started talking. And I'm like, you are so amazing. I think I barged onto you. And when you were standing by my table and then we sat down. <laughs> That's true. And then we sat down and kept talking. And it was so, you were so easy to talk with. And you just played yourself down so much. First of all, our names were both misspelled, misspelled in the magazine, which is okay. We, we love Utah Valley Magazine, but they're both misspelled. So we were laughing about that at, at first. Mine with two S's, Carmen Rasmussen, and yours was with an L instead of an I, Pertle. <laughs> Catherine Pertle. And so we were laughing. Vibe. <laughs> so we were laughing about that. And then we just started talking and you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just an author. I, yeah, I've got a few books. Um, New York Times bestselling author, incredible series. So of course I went home and Googled you and then I downloaded your books and I've been listening to Bone Crier's Moon. It's a YA fantasy novel that is, has sucked me completely in. I love it so much. And I'm a total book nerd and I'm really picky. And I told you that I'm like, you're picky. That makes me happy. I'm very picky. I, like it. <laughs> I am. And I've stopped. I returned so many audible books. I'm like, no, I can't do this. Can't listen to it. I am in love with these characters <laughs> and with the story. It's incredible. So Catherine, thank you for coming and chatting with me today on doing good. Of course. It's my pleasure. Oh my goodness. And you are so, I mean, even though you are so sweet and so humble, you've accomplished so much. Like to get one book on the New York Times bestseller list is amazing, but to have two series on the on the New York Times bestseller well, list. Well, okay. Well, just one hit the list. One hit the but list. One, once you hit the list, it's like you can be called that forevermore. It's like when someone's a, it's your title. It's an Academy Award. They can. Uh, Academy Award winner from that point on. Not that I'm going to compare the New York Times. Oh, well, you, were, you did not even need to reveal that. You could just be like, yes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Anyway, it's funny though, because so Burning Glass hit the list. Yes. Bone Crier's Moon has totally sold more copies, way more copies than Burning Glass. So it's just funny how that works because the New York Times is like a week by week list. Yes. Maybe sold more copies in that week, but then there's overall sales and, you know. Yeah. It's a whole new world. It Oh, publishing. Oh, yes. So I would love to talk about how you got into writing novels you said that you started writing it when you donated a kidney to your older brother that's kind yeah. of an interesting way to discover your love of writing yeah so I I'm assuming that you're like me in a way that you're not just singer you have your like your artistic the side that side of your personality probably blends into lots of different things not yes. singing because I already know that you have writing talent 
And there's probably other things about you that are artistic, but I, you know, we're just getting to know each other a little bit. Yes. I, so I grew up, you know, you could just from my bio, I, my main focus was acting for a really long time until I had my third child and was kind of like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, that was horrible. But like, I was kind of able to act on the side with my other two children, but something about three, I was like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like they, my life is, I don't have time to be gone from dinner time to bedtime, rehearsing a play yeah. months and performing during those same critical hours for little children, you know? Yep. And, and so then I, then I hadn't acted in, I don't know, three years, maybe. And I kind of felt this big void in my life. And then during that time, that's when I donated um, a kidney to my older brother. And okay, to rewind a little bit. So my dad was a, was a writer, Larry Barkdale, and he did write just straight up fiction for the national market. It was very heavily Christian, but he also wrote a lot of things that were published by like Deseret Book and Covenant books from like doctrinal books to books about like historical fiction with like he wrote a book about like William W. Phelps that did they wrote a lot of lyrics in our hymns and did a lot of writing yeah for the early church anyway so perhaps there you know he's passed up he's passed on now but there may be a few people in the community that still remember him and his writings but so I grew up with a father that wrote and he I'm one of 10 children and we all are very artistic in different ways. And a lot of us play musical instruments and a lot of us act. And my dad also played guitar and stuff. So, but I, I was the one that really picked up the writer gene, I suppose. And that he, and I think he could see that in me from a young age. <clears throat> and he would always like, whenever I wrote a creative paper for school, he'd get really excited and sit down with me and edit it and help me make it the best it could be. And he gave me like responsibilities over the years, like to edit some things because he helped publish things for other people and he oh, awesome. the press for a little while. And wow. Anyway, so I have that background, but I still like in my identity, I was like, I'm an actress. And yep. I did write a lot of like little short stories and poems and things like that. But I never thought of myself as a writer. Yeah. Until fast forward years later, when I'm after donating a kidney to my brother and then my husband and I and our children moved from Utah to Florida for a couple of years for his first job. And, so, you know, so I'm like in this kind of place where I'm like really missing my family. And I, I think people turn to art when there's just something so big inside of them that they don't know how to express in any other way, whether that's singing or writing or painting. And for me, I just had, I was dealing with recovery, which recovering for me, recovering from donating a kidney was super intense. Not, it was more just meant like mentally intense. I think all of my energy was going towards physical healing. So my mental healing, my mental health was spiraling for the first time in my life. And I basically, I just needed, I really needed a creative outlet. And I was, as I was gradually unpacking all my stuff from our move, I came across all these notebooks from when I was little, like, especially like a young teenager. And all these poems and short stories that I'd totally forgotten about. And I bundled them all together. And I just had this like little epiphany. I was like, you're a writer. And you've kind of like forgotten that. And like, that's who you are too. And I just decided in that moment, 
I, I, everyone that wants to write a story one day, they just have this moment where they're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yeah. do this, you know? And like, like actually go for it publishing wise. Yeah. And I, I don't know what, I don't know why I had the gumption or the drive or whatever. I, I think it was just this void I needed to fill. And, and I think for me, seeing my dad be successful at it, it wasn't yeah. just like this crazy pipe dreamer. It's like, I could do that. I, could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I just thought to myself, I could do that. Yeah. So I started, yeah, I started to write the first story, which was about an empath. This story, this story never got published, but in a way, when I, I rewrote the empath kind of theme story years later, and it turned into burning glass. So, but I, but I really wanted to write a story about an empath at that time. And what an empath means, because some people don't know what that means. I'm sure you do, but like, just for our audience, like an empath basically means a person that can sense another person's feelings, like emotions, especially. And that's how I was really, really feeling. I think, first of all, women feel that way. Yes. Kind of empaths naturally, a lot of us. Not to say that men aren't, but like, I just think it's a natural feminine characteristic. Yeah. But with all my defenses down in, in recovery, I just, my, the empath part of me was just like in hyperdrive. Like I would, I would see a homeless man and I'd go home and I'd cry for two hours, like, like just seeing any kind of suffering. And I, and I was so weak. I was in a place where I really couldn't help anybody at that point because yeah. I needed to really help myself. Yeah. And that was the first time that I'd been so weak that I couldn't really help other people. And so it was so painful for me though, inside to feel that, um, that sensitivity more than ever, but be so weak that I couldn't do something about it. I don't know. Is this completely no kind of wrote you to write a story about empaths so yeah I don't know if any of that resonated but. absolutely and it's it's just so interesting how what you said when when sometimes your feelings are so big you don't know how to express it any other way than through music or writing or art and I felt the same way and I've even told my boys I'm like sometimes when they're having a really bad day I'm like go put on a song to listen to or something because there's something about art that can portray through words or music, through paint, through lines, charcoal, sculpting, something that that you can't really e e express verbally. And it, it's just it, it's a it's a feeling that you create through your words, through your music, through the art. It's a feeling that surpasses something that's that's tangible it's like it goes beyond that and and yeah. it really does for, for everything for love for anger for sadness art really is it i mean the input and output of of art has such a huge impact on on our lives and and our feelings and 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 enhances just life experience i mean a photography and so i think it's really interesting that you talk a lot about recovery and how hard that was with you. I, I don't know the procedure of donating a kidney or, or that recovery, but that it hit you so hard. And, and, and I want to know, was it the feeling of, well, now I'm only going to have one and how will this affect my life? Or was it, you know, was it, well, if I give this to my brother and then what if it doesn't work and then I failed him? I mean, what was why do you think it was really hard mentally? And the thing is, I had tried for three years. My, he needed a kidney for three years. And 
first of all, it's really ironic that my dad, who was like my hero, right? The one that I, I ended up writing and kind of becoming like in, in that way. He donated a kidney to the same brother, to his son, when my brother was 15 and I was 13. And I watched that whole process and I saw the same thing happen to my dad that he went. And I'll explain kind of about that part in a minute. But for me, like I, it wasn't anything to do with like regret. First of all, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. Like I worked so hard to donate that, that kidney. They denied me so many times because they... We were a perfect match, like our tissue type and our blood type and everything. But I had some like weird plumbing around my kidneys and I'm a carrier of hemophilia, a bleeding disorder. And my brother that needed the kidney has hemophilia. And they're like, we can't have two bleeders on the operating table. Oh, yeah. All these big concerns like that. So they kept putting me off and testing other people that were that came up and were willing. And in the meantime, my brother got West Nile virus and he had cancer that my dad had donated to him 16 years previous. But the kidney that he donated to him 16 years previous got cancer on it and they had to remove that kidney. And like there was, anyway, there were so many times (laughs) he almost died in that three years that he needed that, a new kidney. And I kept on saying, just consider me, I'm right here. Yes. Take my kidney. So I had to really fight hard for them. And then it finally got to the point where they finally were willing after three years. So it had nothing to do with like regrets on my part for like, what did I just do? Yeah. Now I only have one kidney, you know, but, and, and it really, and I, and my brother started, he was really healthy and he did really well after I donated that kidney and he's, and he's still doing really well. So it wasn't even that I wasn't worried about, will it fail or or anything like that. It was just, it was just literally, I just think I had, I had a lot on my plate for, for many, many years. And I was just strong. Like my husband has Crohn's disease and I had to be their breadwinner, the breadwinner for the first seven years of our marriage. And once he got healthy, then I put him through school and then I'm raising children and, you know, it's just life. But like, there's a lot of things on my plate for many, many years. And then, right, I missed my husband's graduation from college because I was recovering from the kidney transplant. But, and then the moment, the moment he graduates, we move across the country. So it's kind of like I'd been, I'd had to be strong. Yes. So, so many years. And then in this moment where, like, yeah, the physical recovery was hard from donating a kidney, but that only lasted for a couple months. And then, but then after that, I still think, somewhere in your body, even though we're put out for the surgery and stuff like that, it's like, I am missing a major organ. Yes. <laughs> I, and some, there's like a big giant hole where that used to be. And, you know, I don't know. I'm like your other kidney grows. It takes like a year for it to grow and compensate for the one you donated and all of that stuff. I guess you could sort of relate it in a way to being like, pregnant like it just takes a toll on you yeah you know and for me and I you know I'd already had three babies and stuff like that but I think I think I just for the first time something traumatic enough for for my body but it could be like if anyone's listening to to this it could be any kind of sometimes we think we're fine yes with with our mental health or with what we can handle or however you want to phrase that but then then there's like a tipping point where it's done okay I'm done yeah. Like, and I can't like, you have to take care of you now, girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was just really about that. And I, 
my, and I just found myself crying all the time. And, but it, in reality, everything was going great in my life. Like I'd done the thing I'd been trying to do for three years. I donated the kidney. My husband did graduate school. He's, I, he's working, you know, he wasn't able to work in the first part of our marriage and he was able to work full-time now. And, you know, all these on the surface and we moved into our, the first home we ever owned. So all these things are like, they look great on the surface, but I just felt like super overwhelmed. And I remember finally going to a doctor and for the first time in my life being like, I think I need medicine, like antidepressants, you know, and it was a hard thing for me to like admit and like go and ask for help with. And I was explaining to the doctor my symptoms and she was like, I think you have postpartum. And I was like, what? (laughs) My baby, like when I donated the kidney, my baby was my youngest was uh, nine months old. And I was like, so, and at the time that I asked for help, she was like, I don't know, 18 months old. Oh, so like, I don't have postpartum. Like, what are you talking about? But whether I did or not, that's weird to me, but whether it, cause it's so far ahead, but I, it's, but it's kind of like the same thing though. Yes. Like where it's just like, I wanted this baby so bad and I had the baby and it's everything I want. And but your but body was like, I gave, I just gave birth and yes. that was a big deal. And so, and part of you goes into that depression slope, whether it was or not, it's the closest thing I can relate it to is it felt like just ongoing postpartum depression. That is so you know? interesting. Well, and your body hadn't fully recovered from having a baby before then going into yeah, then You were worried about that too, but. Yeah. Well, there probably was a little bit of relapse just hormonally that your body was yeah. like, never mind, I'm taking a huge step back. And, but how beautiful that in that horrible, dark, difficult moment, you found something that brought you out of it. Yeah. That you found that writing. So after you wrote this, the story, what led you to, to the burning glass series? Was the first one you were like, okay, that was just for me. That was just to get it out to see if I could do it. And then were you like, I think I could actually write something even more amazing. Or did you pitch that? didn't get what you wanted and get feedback and then start on something. Yeah. Else. So I, I spent like a year and a half drafting that book and had no idea what I was doing. Cause whether, I mean, I, I do think I had some natural writing, writing talent and a lot of my acting, you know, a lot of the arts, they cross. Like, yes. Like all the stuff I'd learned about character development. Yes. It, and and the play and yeah, you know, whatever. But yeah. so I felt like I had a good amount of like natural ability but still learning how to like craft an entire novel. Yes. Different than like writing a short story or a poem. <laughs> sure. It's like, I'm sure for you, it's like coming up with like an entire album is different than like, yes, you know, it's, it's just like a, and it's got to somehow tie together thematically and what's so exactly, you know, yep. like this, you're composing this big, it's got to have the arc and everything. So anyway, so I, Okay, now I've forgotten your question. <laughs> I got I got so into my mental the story into into a story that actually made the New York Times bestseller oh, list. Yes. Yeah. So that first story, it was about an empath and it was a fantasy. And it took me a year and a half to draft and another year to revise because it needed a lot of help. But I actually I worked really hard on it and I did get my first agent, my first literary agent with that book because my goal was to get published, to get traditionally published by a big publisher. Some people, their goal is to get self-published and it's a different path. And for me, I was like, I don't, it's just too much for me to learn how to be a good 
like to it's like producing everything oh, completely and promoting it and finding yeah, like, I just want to focus on the writing part as yeah, much you as do possible. you do all the rest yeah no so, anyway that was my goal and I so I got you need a literary agent to go that route so that's kind of the first big thing you have to get as an agent so I did get an agent with that first book and I thought oh I've got it made and but I've made it yeah and she she pitched it to several different publishers and then in the middle of that process she she's catholic she's devout catholic and she went on a walking pilgrimage to spain and when she came back you know whatever happened to her there she was like i'm done with publishing she oh. came back and was like i i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> and her would just like being no. a great agent and then just decided it wasn't for her oh so, but the, it's i don't know if this is similar with music but basically once you're once someone's seen your work at a publishing house it's kind of like you've killed it in the water like no one they, you know what I mean? That book just, there was no way to get it published after she quit. It, it had been already seen, even though the process hadn't been completed. Oh. So that, but you know, it's probably okay. I'm amazed that I got an agent with that book. I don't know. It, it needed a lot. Like, you know, I thought it was the bomb back then, yeah. but it needed a lot of help still. So then I just kept writing. And I, the thing, I think just perseverance and I'm assuming it's kind of like your journey in some ways too, but like, if you want to actually make a living at art, it is so hard. Um, so hard. Probably, you know, like to actually depend financially on it for one thing, or if it's just going to be like a side source of income or whatever, it just takes so much perseverance and discipline. And for some reason, I just really held on to that belief even though there, even though the setbacks were hard that I, that it was going to happen for me. And I think I, I had that belief and, but I also said like the faith part, I really had the faith part, but I also was very realistic. You know, some people are like, my goal is to get an agent this year. My goal is to sell my book by the age of 30, you know, or whatever. And it's like, you can't, that you have no control over that part. Right. You have no control over if someone chooses you. I have control over my faith. Yeah. I have control over the work I put into it. And then I kept writing story after story. And then I pursued getting a new agent and all those things. That's you. And I, I just basically boil it down to you have control over education and the actual practice of your talent, like learning more about it and continuing to practice it. And since this is a spiritual sort of podcast, I and faith, like you have yes. control over your faith, but also like, and so there's a lot of things that go hand in hand with that faith, trusting in the timing and yes. like standing true to who you are, you know, and like, for me, that's, that was important. Like I, I had a pretty clear vision of in my head of what, how far I wanted to go and what I was willing to do and not do, um, in order to reach that level. And I don't, anyway, that's kind of a t side tangent, but so I, I, and it just naturally kind of got to know other people in the writing community. Every time there was like an event in Utah, like anytime an author was coming through town, I'd go to the library or the bookstore and listen to them speak and hear their story. And, and then you, I noticed after a while, like the same kind of writers, like, like aspiring writers, the really, the ones that were really trying hard to make it, they would be attending these events. And I slowly got to know them. Anyway, so it was it was through a referral that I got my second agent, who's an amazing amazing agent, 
And, and you know, networking is like a careful thing. Like I didn't ask my friend, hey, we please. Yes. You, your, your agent. We just yep. naturally became friends because we were both very serious. When we met, we were both agentless and she obtained this representation from this agent first. And then, you know, we, we were reading each other's stuff anyway and giving each other yeah. back. And she read my latest thing and she was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Can I share it with my agent? You know, so awesome. Her, and that just all happened from naturally for me, just being very serious about my writing and naturally forming relationships were you know, it was like the way you and I hit it off. <laughs> that is exactly. It's totally organic. And I, do you know what? I love that you say that it was another woman author that, that said, I'm going to introduce you to my agent instead of this is really good. I'm not going to tell anyone about it and have that competitive like yeah. that she was like, this is so good. I'm going to share that because there's room for both of us. Yes. There's room for, for all of us in it, it creatively and in the sphere. Yeah. And I Love hearing stories of women supporting women and saying, I'm going to help you out because, I mean, if, if it weren't for her, I mean, I'm sure it would have gotten picked up, but maybe not at the right time, the right way. Maybe would have written a few more books. But how awesome that she was like, I am going to help you out and, and support yeah. you and, yeah. and cheer you on is yeah. awesome. Because, and you know, sometimes we do feel like when you, when there's something you want and that you've wanted for so long, it's really, it can be really easy to feel like discouraged or threatened yes. when you see other people succeed or when you see other yes. people's talent. And you're right. Like, yeah, I know that like it, it's crowded out there and there's a lot of books, you know, we're like sort of competing, but I just feel like, again, it's like that faith part. Like, yeah. I'm trying my very best here. And sometimes it doesn't work out the exact way you you picture. Oh, like, yeah. I don't know. For me, it kind of it did to a certain extent. But again, I tried to like, like if Burning Glass was my fourth book shared to publishers by an agent. Wow. And because everyone told me, oh, getting the agent, that's the hard part. For me, that was the easier part for whatever reason. Because yes. usually it's like once you get a good agent, then you usually... What I was told, sell, publish, and I didn't. Um, but looking back, I'm like, I'm really glad it was Burning Glass that that was my debut. Yes, um, series like that one was so much better. Even though I love my previous unpublished stories, this one was yes. so much better, and it was a better representation because again, I was coming back to the empath story, and that was like really what I felt strongly about. Yeah, um, starting out with that's you know kind of what started my writing journey. So I think it, I think it was meant to happen the way it happened. Yes. And, and anyway, you, I just totally feel like you, this is resonating with oh, you. Oh, completely. Yeah. And, and just the journey of, the journey of trying to get people to believe in you is so emotionally taxing. And, and there does come a point where you're like, why am I doing this? There, it is crowded. There are some, do you know how many blonde country singers there are? I'm, everyone is a blonde <laughs> singer. Like literally, I'm like, who am I to even think I have a shot? And yet there was just this little oh. voice inside that was like, no, I can do this. I really, really can do this. And my dad would always say, it's going to take so much hard work. You're going to be rejected. You're going to, and my path was completely different. I went to Nashville after I had already had a name for myself on American Idol, I got signed after I had already had an audience. So I kind of did it backwards. But 
the only reason why I was successful and made it is because I had a ridiculous amount of confidence in myself. Yeah. Which yeah. got shattered yeah. time and time and time again. Yeah, yeah. From, you know, no, you're not good. No, it's not good enough. But... Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Just to no. say you had confidence doesn't mean it was easy. No, not at all. Yeah. But but I think that if, if for those that are listening, like, well, why should I try out for the cheer team? Or why should I put a book out? Or why should I try out for this play or this part or this role? And it's like, why not? If you don't try, the answer is always no. But if you go yeah. for it, even if you don't make it, you know that you gave it your all. And and I really think there's something to say for tenacity and perseverance. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's scriptures about it. And we're to the end. And I think that's for a reason. It's not just, it's you got to keep going. You know, like our favorite story in the scriptures, Nephi and the brass plates, like you got to keep up with something. And that, of course, yeah. was a commandment he wanted, but. I think there's a reason why Heavenly Father let him fail a few times before yeah. he was able to succeed. Part of it was so he relied solely on the Lord. I knew not beforehand, you know, knowing not what I was going to do. He was led by the Spirit. Part of it is trusting in the Lord. And part of it, I think, Heavenly Father, you appreciate something so much more when it doesn't come easy. It it it, it, yeah. it sucks to say that because every time I want something, I'm like, but wait, just let this one come easy because it really is. <laughs> Work to gut yourself every time and get rejected and the oh this is hard but then when it comes it's like I have earned this I have earned this you earned that New York Times bestseller list you earned it and it's like oh my gosh the sense of accomplishment and and your appreciation is so much greater and I would say that it I think it also humbles you too it's like oh wow people that succeed you have so much respect for them and you understand what they've been through and you're not quick to be like, well, I could do that. You know, it's like, yeah. oh man, it, it it's so much more difficult. So I want to know, Catherine, when in this process of putting your soul out there and and writing's probably writing songs and writing music is really similar. It's it's like a part of you. It's a story that comes from your heart. It's yeah. your imagination and what people think of. And how, for me, when I write songs, it usually comes all at once. It's 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 usually never... I wrote a little this week and then I wrote a little that week and then I, the whole thing comes at once and mm -hmm. then I'll edit and compose and, and switch things around over the weeks and months, usually only weeks. But I know it's a good one if it kind of all comes in like a downpour, like yeah. this is it. If I get little here, little there, I usually am like, nah, but I want to know what it's like for a novel and for a story. <laughs> you all of a sudden get this idea of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to write about this girl and this and this. And then things just all kind of come or is it more of a gradual? How do you even right. So I've had, I've had all kinds of experiences in the way that I came about an idea. But the best ideas and the ones that actually got published, they did come what we would say fast, like yeah. this kind of a stream of consciousness, like the idea, or at least like the kernel of the idea. Yes. But of course, it's a long process. Too. And then it's the long, oh yeah, yeah. Revise it and all the stuff. But Burning Glass, I knew that I wanted to write a story about an empath still. And so I think I've learned, I, and then uh, Bone Crier's Moon, I, I came across this this French folklore like on the internet when I was doing research for for the Burning Glass series I just happened to come across this page of like this kind of mythology page from different cultures and it had this French folklore it not really like a story but just like something that they believe in 
different yeah. folklore, kind of like how some cultures believe in a vampire or this or that. They believe type stuff. Yeah. So they in French folklore, there's this thing called Le Dame Blanche, and it means woman in white, like white clothing. And and it's interesting because actually this story later on I found out that there's like a version of the story in like almost all mythology. But I came across this really brief story that was like or not story, just this folklore that if in French folklore, that if a man is like wandering around at night, comes upon a bridge and sees a beautiful woman in white on that bridge and she asks him to dance, well, she will ask him to dance. And if he dances with her, she'll let him cross the bridge. But if she, but if he, ref, if he denies her the dance, she'll kill him. <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. Like that's oh, all there is to it. And in French folklore, it's just like, it's kind of like, their version of the troll, I guess, the troll on the back. Yeah, yeah. Just like this woman that wants to dance with you and like this kind of supernatural woman. And I was like, I, I kept like, you know, Googling more about it. Like, well, there's got to be more to it than that. You know, like, why, why did she kill him? Just yes. because she denied him. He denied her a dance, you know. And so but that was like, that just stuck with me. I love mythology anyway. And so I, I just thought there's something there that, and I knew it was a kernel of something, but I didn't know what. So what I've learned to do over the years is like, when I have a really strong seed of an idea, I, sometimes like I'll write it down, just like I like this myth or, you know, whatever, or I, I need to write a story about an empath, but like yes. there was a thousand ways I could have done that. But then I have learned to just like trust in my subconscious and let it, let that idea like percolate. Uh, and oh. and I sometimes I'll have like a little tiny bit more of an idea and I'll write it down. But usually I just leave it alone, but I keep it alive. Like I remember that it's there and I and I, I remember that that was a thing. Yes. You have to like entertain it in some way. So I, so like, <laughs> like doing the work. And then usually months later, one morning I'll wake up or like after a hot bath or like something when you could have two moments of peace and quiet to yourself and then just like the whole plot and like the main characters just like dumps into my head oh so, that is so I cool really what you're saying and that's but to me like there has to be a seed and I have to like give it a place to grow it's like faith <laughs> yes. you know I know I just said I'm like it's like sourdough starter or something <laughs> like, you're like here it is, but then you leave it alone, but then you feed it. And then you're like, okay, yes. now I can use this into bread. Now I'm going to make this story. Yeah. And so I think that's so cool. I, I, I love talking to people about their creative process. And I find that across the board, it's often, oftentimes very similar. Usually you don't, it's so funny that you can't overthink art. You can't force things. You can't force a story and force a song. And so it's exactly what you said. It's like it, when people ask me sometimes, well, how do you write a song? I'm like, it comes to me. I know that sounds so weird, but it just, it's like when my mind is open to it and I'm thinking, it just kind of comes, it just kind of flows in. And it's yeah. really cool when you get that, oh, Bastion and Sabine, and you know, that moment <laughs> of oh, silver owl. And then there should be this. I'm sure there's times where you can't even type fast enough. You're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's like yeah. the flowing of yeah. ideas. Yeah. And I, and for Bone Crayer's Moon, I mean, I know we haven't talked much about that series at length, but like for me, I was like, I knew right, I knew when the, like when the characters and plot came into my mind months later, I knew because I kept, the big question I had is like, how could, I, how could I write a story about this? How could I justify that these women are killing men on a bridge? Yeah. Girl, and I, I wanted to write young adults so they'd be teenagers, you know? And 
And so I just, that was like kind of the question that I was thinking about in the back of my head. There's always like some kind of question for me. Yeah. And, and I knew, so I knew that I'd need two, two female characters, two main characters from this society of women that did this. And that I would need one that was like all for it. Like, yep, this is what we do. Kind of like greenwashed into this way of thinking. And one that had all these moral questions about it. And she was like the anomaly among the the female, the kind of like tribe of women. Yes. Um, Just so that the reader could be like, okay. (laughs) So the reader could have someone to relate to like, okay, yeah. They're like, someone's aware that this is messed up, even though right. it's different than the rest. And then, and then, you know, there has to be a boy character because I needed kissing. <laughs> we always need kissing, Catherine. We always need kissing. And there's not a, well, I'm, I'm excited to keep reading it. I, there hasn't been hardly any, well, there's been none so far. So like, where's well, romance. I need a romance. <laughs> you need a romance. I need, I need more of that. So and I think you'll be happy. Just, just read a little bit further. Good. <laughs> I'm so glad. I love it. No, honestly, romance, like it's my most favorite. I love reading about love. I love reading like the struggle of like and the angst of it all the drama of it all it's all so fun it's so entertaining for me Catherine thank you so much for taking time to come on my podcast today and talk about your incredible books you have two series out right now the burning glass and then bow crier's moon which is a duology which is the one I chose to listen to first and oh my gosh you have to download it. You will not be disappointed. It is so awesome. I think you are doing so much good. And and I love that you talk about how far you're willing to go. And it's funny, as an author, you think, well, just write about whatever you want. But it's not because you've got publishers that are and editors that are like, well, this is what sells. This is what you need to do. You need to be more edgy. You need to be this. And I just applaud you for being who you are and creating incredible clean but exciting wonderful content and proving that you can still write amazing things without compromising your values and what you believe in and who you are as a person and as an author and even if it's just well yeah but it's just your characters are doing that it's not like you're doing it I mean there's so many ways to justify it and and I'm just proud of you for for not doing that and just saying no I can I can I you know as artists we have we I think all artists have a really strong compulsion to be as honest as possible. Because yes. It's pure truth, you know, and I know you're trying to wrap up, so I'll, I'll be brief. <laughs> no, I love it. Take okay. your time. But I, but I also think there's a way to tell any story about any difficult subject because life has light and dark in it. And yes. we have to, to share that in a way that is honest as possible. But I also think we we do have a role and we are the wizard behind the curtain. We are the artists and yes. we, there is a way to stay true to who you are while being really honest about tough subjects. And it's just a matter of how you tackle it. Like I think To Kill a Mockingbird is like the ultimate example. Like that book tackled really dark, tough subjects. Yes. yes. Racism, prejudice, incest. Yes. Um, suicide. Yeah. Yes. And, but is it graphic? I mean, I know in some parts of the country and back in the day, it's still sometimes a banned book, but I, I disagree with that part. It is, it is a clean read, like it's graphic and there's nothing, but, and how she did that is she told it through a child's point of view. Yeah. But things are like hinted at, but the child doesn't really understand all the subject matter. They like scout, you know? 
Right. But in, so it's just a matter of how you tackle something to, to, cause also at the same time, you want to share your art with the most people possible and so yes. you don't want to like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Alien. I just think that you can balance who you are and being true to what an artist should be and sharing truth. I, I completely agree with that. And I do, I 100% agree that I think that there is room for art in all of its beautiful forms, but that it should, it should be uplifting and inspiring and entice us to do better and be better. And, and you can talk about difficult subjects without being as graphic or as crude or bringing that darkness. And you can show the difference between the light and dark, as you say, um, without focusing so much on the dark. And I think that's kind of popular right now. It's like, oh, just go really deep into like the, oh, horrible, depressing. And, and these books are so popular and it's like, oh, but then you get done reading it and you're like, I feel sick to my stomach. And it was like a, a, a partial, just a portion of light. And then just, ugh, it, it yeah. filled. And, and this is the opposite. It's like beautifully crafted. And yet, oh, wait, but they're murdering these people. Is this right or wrong? But it's not done in, in a way that's like, you know, that, that, that makes, on, that just honestly makes the spirit leave. And that's the difference is that, uh, that you can still like feel happy and good and, and, and still feel the spirit when you're reading your books. There's nothing that your kids or anyone would read that you'd be like, no, you can't read that. That's too much or too intense. Yeah. It's like, no, this is such an amazing read. And will teach you great lessons and is interesting. It's not, you know, boring. Like, oh, it's just, there's no, you have to have a little bit of like preach that either. Like, exactly. It's, yes. It's not, yes. it's not like a nonfiction book. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I like an escape too. And like, yes, yes. And you can have that amazing escape. Well, Catherine, I can't wait to hear so much more from you. I can't wait to hear what you've got next on the horizon. Burning Glass. You can check out your books on Amazon where all books are sold. Barnes and Noble, Desert Book, all that kind of stuff. Burning Glass series and the Bone Crier's Moon. Check them out. Catherine Purdy, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and for all the good you are doing. Bye.